When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Colleges around the country are starting or have already started their fall semesters, brings up a lot of questions. and talk about a few of them straight ahead. Later, so many of us are starting to feel the effects of the labor shortages around the country. I want to talk about what it appears is really going on. So my middle child is a college senior. She started back her fall semester. And she told me just yesterday, Dad, I'm so over it, I've moved on. (laughs) I said, you've moved on in 254 days, honey. Congratulations. (laughs) But she has... I think that's what she has left. I may have quoted her. I have a countdown for her till her graduation. And she actually has 255 days till graduation today. And I, I've said, you know, you need to get through because you're most of the way through. You've been on a roll the whole way or Dean's List or whatever they call it. Just finish this senior year, and you never have to walk in a classroom again, which is ironic because one of the things she thinks she might want to do when she finishes college is be a teacher. Yes. (laughs) How are you going to do that without that degree? So uh, we'll see. But something that has become really a thing is people talking smack about college not being worth it. And that why would anybody waste their time in college when you get out and you're not qualified to do anything, blah, 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 blah. Go get a trade instead. Go get a specific skill. Okay, so those things are not mutually exclusive. You don't have to think about it as an either or that college is garbage And that you should just go learn to be, uh, we need a ton of people doing this, we need a ton of people doing that, we need a ton of other people doing this other thing. Go get the skills for what economists call a middle skill job, which are things like being a plumber, electrician, heating and air conditioning, carpenter, you know, a job that requires a craftsman level of ability. And yes, We have tremendous shortages, auto mechanics, and great shortage. I I could name field after field after field, and yes, you could go to a training program for a year or 18 months or whatever, and you're then able to do various professions that pay good wages and are in great demand. So of those things, electrician, plumber, carpenter, auto mechanic. I mentioned one other. Of those things, 
I am unqualified to learn how to do any of them. I just don't have aptitude for any of those kind of jobs. And there are people that that is a great potential career path. There are other people who college is a great idea for. And there are those that, as I said, not mutually exclusive. There are those that both are the case. We talked recently about how becoming a nurse is in intense demand right now. The shortage of nurses, a life and death issue for our country at this moment I'm speaking. So there are lots of specific things you can go to school for. In the case of my daughter and then my older daughter, they went into college without any clearly defined job that they were interested in for their lives. But the college degree, I can tell you with my older daughter at first, the college degree didn't lead to employment that required a college degree when she first got out. But she made it there by her mid-20s and has done really well career-wise with the college degree. And so the question comes, what do you spend for that college degree? And that is where there's a lot of disagreement. We talked, Krista, about uh, your daughter, Claire, whose birthday is has just happened mm-hmm. and is at the school of your dreams for her. No, it's her. It's, it was her choice completely. I just, I want to say all parents who drop your kids off at college, don't go in their room right away. Well, you started bawling your eyes oh, out? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I was like in fetal position on her bed. <laughs> this is so funny because you and I talked about this when uh, both of my uh, girls went to sleepaway college. That's what I call it when you go, to, go away <laughs> to college. They both went to sleepaway college and I didn't have those feelings yeah. at all. I was ecstatic for them to start this new chapter of their yeah, lives. No, I'm super excited for her. I really am. But I'm just, I think it's more being sad for me because I'm just going to miss her. That's all. Now, I love, you know, for people to go through stages of life, including my own kids. And, I, and when our son reaches college age, I'll be really happy. Every, well, everyone's different. Yeah. So the thing is, Going to an expensive college. I have one daughter who went to a very affordable state school. I have another daughter who uh, attends an incredibly expensive private university. And we had a lot of debates about this as a family. And the reality is, if you look sheer dollars and cents, it doesn't really seem to have a straight payback going to an expensive private college. Just doesn't. And... People look at college as being worth it, not worth it, the payback and all the rest. Um, There are lots of stories as we move into the college year. You know, one of them headline, will that college degree pay off? And a lot of stories with that kind of theme. And so, yes, it's true. If you go to a really expensive school and get some undefined liberal arts degree, odds are that at least in that first decade, it's going to be upside down. You're going to have these potentially enormous college costs, whether they were borrowed or not, that enormous cost is there. And 
your 20s, it's going to look like a bust. I mean, if you get a degree in something that is highly sought after in the marketplace, engineering degree of some kind or uh, accounting actuarial science, something like that, then the payback is clear even if you go to an expensive school. A lot of people don't have the luxury of that even being a choice. And the reality is a degree that starts at a community college or does all four years at a community college, as you can now do in a number of states, and at not sleep away school but at commuter college, get a four-year degree at an extremely affordable price, you will have a clear payback regardless of what you study by having that bachelor's degree. So I know it's really, really in right now to talk smack about college and that college is worthless and college is a waste of money and college is a waste of time and all that. The economics show over a working lifetime that's just not accurate, that the average college graduate earns 60% more over a working lifetime than someone without a college degree. That's average. Not everybody, but we're playing averages and odds. Let's get to some questions. Cynthia says, I'm planning a trip to Disney World and want to spend as little out of pocket as possible. Look I've- at it from outside the gates. <laughs> I've saved up credit card points for the hotel, airline tickets, and park passes, but now need help with the food. I'd like to use Disney gift cards for the food at the parks, but can't seem to find a credit card that lets you cash in points for these. Cynthia, you've already gotten so far along the way with how you've been able to use your credit card points and you reduce the cost so much. And my rule with Disney is you eat like mad before you get there. You only snack while you're there and you eat a big meal when you're done at the park each day. The food inside is not very good. In fact, it's not good at all. And it's frightfully expensive. So I just believe that you do everything you can to avoid eating inside the park. In addition, you want to bring some kind of container for water. Or if you pay for one water bottle when you get there, you refill that one. Because any beverage inside the park is really expensive And there typically are water fountains right by each restroom in the park. From Terry in Florida, my parents own a small restaurant and we have 11 employees, including my parents and me. I'd really love to offer our employees ways to save money at work, but SEP and simple IRAs do not work for us since we do not have much wiggle room on the budget, even if it would be 2 to 4% employer contribution. My parents and I get paid lower half of five-figure salaries and at times feels hopeless. Two years ago, I've tried to have health insurance started and miserably failed due to high premiums. Is there any retirement account that offers employees a way to save for their retirement without employer contribution other than a Roth IRA? I want to do more for our employees. Most of them work really hard, and I want to offer them something other than small gifts during the holidays. You present a very, very difficult scenario because it is true that It's very hard for a small employer to offer a retirement plan when you're dealing with the low revenue you have from the restaurant, the net profit. And so offering a SEP 
to your employees is not a practical solution. Uh, setting up an employer 401k requires significant costs for a small business. And Terry, the solution that Florida does not offer, but more and more states do, is a state-provided retirement plan for workers at small businesses. The companies don't have to pay any money at all. It's just available to their workers. And I wish that more and more states around the country would offer such a plan and Florida is the nation's third largest state. I guess Florida's third largest state at this point. Uh, there's an enormous need for the state to have a state-sponsored IRA because so many people work in service industries in the state of Florida. I want to go back to what you alluded to about the health insurance. Because of the level of wages you're receiving, Terry, you very well may be eligible for a subsidy at healthcare.gov on the purchase of health insurance that may make the insurance ultra-low cost, potentially near-free for you to have a health insurance policy. And this is from Rachel in Kansas. I left a job with a large nonprofit employer in 2020 and followed the policies to a T. However, I had to notify the employer after I left that I was still receiving paychecks. Turns out no one formally terminated me. After badgering compliance, HR, and payroll for over a month, I was able to send back checks totaling the money I was not owed. It's now been months, and they haven't cashed them. Do you know how to proceed? I've kept all the communications to show my due diligence. And note, I left the employer for this exact messy factor. Is it worth hiring an attorney? All right, Rachel, that is one of the oddest questions anyone's (laughs) ever posted for me. And you are doing a great job documenting everything. You have done everything exactly right. Uh, You left because the nonprofit is all messed up. It might be something if you really value the work of the nonprofit, but are just very disappointed in how they run the operation. It's possible that the, the board is not aware of the chaos that's going on at the nonprofit. And you could certainly inform a board member of the situation because when people give their hard-earned money to a charitable cause, they want to know that that money is being efficiently spent. I don't know if you're willing to make that kind of trouble, but otherwise you don't need an employer. You've documented everything. You've done everything as you should. And you are free to just sit on your hands and wait for this all to be resolved. And from Ken in California, with the growing concerns about surveillance on smartphones, particularly Apple's new initiative to put spyware right on their operating system, I'm thinking of going back to a voice-only cell phone and then buying a standalone MP3 player and -and point-and-shoot camera. But where (laughs) can you buy a voice-only cell phone without a data plan these days? Well, there are a number of what are known as feature phones available again in the marketplace, which are very simple phones that don't do any of the things that smartphones do. And if you look particularly at track phone, you'll find um, dumb phones available or feature phones as they're called. They don't call them dumb phones. That's just what people in the industry call them. And then you've got a phone that simply makes calls alone. On the spying thing, 
what many people will do though is they'll use a traditional cell phone but do it with a prepaid carrier and only use the phone for calling and potentially texting but nothing else and that would help you with the whole spying thing i want to tell you a lot of industries as we've been talking about for months are experiencing worker shortages I'll tell you my controversial solution straight ahead. The states that discontinued the pandemic unemployment assistance early expected that people would rush back into the workforce. And a lot of economists expected that as well. And to people's shock and dismay, that didn't happen. That it's been a stunner to labor economists that the labor shortage has remained pretty much as is in the states that early terminated pandemic unemployment assistance. There was a belief that there were millions and millions of would-be workers that were not working because they were getting so much money from the government to not work. And Having people on the dole, as it was referred to in Europe, can suck the incentive out of the workforce. But that's not what happened here. At the margins, there may be a small segment of people who were like, hey, why would I work? Look at the money they're sending me. The reality is we had a pre-existing workforce shortage before the pandemic that has been magnified by the pandemic, and particularly with women workers with young children, who with the kids being in school, out of school, in school, out of school, a lot of women who most child-rearing responsibilities flow to women, a lot of women have not been able to work because of their responsibilities to their young children. But even with that factored in, if all those women were back in the workforce, we're still millions and millions of workers short in the United States. We have an aging population, and we are flat out short of workers. And I'm going to step into it right now. (laughs) And I want to tell you again, when I infuriate you with what I'm about to say, please Go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know. Please contain your anger as you can with your comments and think through uh, before you post things strictly out of anger. But I believe that we in the United States need a guest worker program in order to bring in younger workers to help fill jobs that are going unfilled by the millions. We are facing reduced economic growth over time in the United States by having missed opportunities, by not having workers available to fill jobs. A certain amount of those jobs we're going to replace with automation over time. That the pain of business owners and what they're facing with the lack of workers will lead to new ways of doing things. But the truth is, 
we flat out need more workers in the U.S. than our population supports right now because of simple demographics of an aging population. When you have a guest worker program, it's kind of like people who live in rural America are very familiar with this, as it's been a facet of the agriculture industry forever with people who come for a period of time at harvest time, typically, to help with the harvest, and then they go back after the season is over. You will always have people that overstay. That is a side effect that happens when you allow a guest worker program. But most people want to be able to come and work for a period of time, and most people want to go back to wherever their families are who they miss while they're working in a guest worker program. So that is, to me, a part of the puzzle. I know that with the raw political climate in the United States, that that sets off alarms in a lot of people's heads, but it is what I believe is something we should be looking at for our nation's prosperity. Again, (laughs) Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. From Phil in Washington, I have several credit cards that charge monthly or yearly fees. I no longer use them. According to advice I've heard, it would be damaging to my credit to close them. Do I just keep sending them more money every month and year? Don't do that to yourself, Phil. Don't punish yourself. What you do is you do what I call the hopscotch. For each card that has an annual fee that shows no purpose in your life anymore, you apply now for a new card, and then once you're approved for that new card, then you close that old card with the annual fee before that annual fee is done. Um, I don't know how many you said several. I wouldn't want you to apply for more than one new card every six months so that you don't start to impact your credit with too many what are known as hard inquiries. But if you will cycle through these, uh, let's say several is four cards, it would take you two years essentially to transition from ones with an annual fee to ones without. This is from Annette in Connecticut. My son-in-law leased a car for his last year of nursing school. It was due to be returned in August. Luckily, I had listened to a previous podcast about being the best time to turn in or sell a leased car. His buyout was $13,500. He was able to price a sale on CarMax for $18,500. He ended up with just less than $5,000. Had he turned it in at the dealer, he would have had to pay money. Time to remind your listeners of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Annette, this is awesome. Um, I had mentioned before that some of the um, leasing companies, they're trying to stop people from doing just what your son-in-law did, paying off a lease and then selling it for a lot more than what you had to pay for the buyout. And one of the roadblocks they're throwing up is where if you do the transaction all at the place that's buying it, in this case, CarMax, where they would pay off the lease and give you the difference. That's where the leasing company is saying, nope, 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 they weren't our customer. We're not going to accept the money. You're still on the hook. Turn that vehicle in. So you have to pay the lease off yourself and then turn around and flip the vehicle. 
This is from Greg in California. My credit union sort of forced fed Zelle on its members, and I know how much you hate that. It got me thinking, if there was a Zelle breach and someone made off with all of my money, would the FDIC insurance cover it? They will not, Greg. You know, Zelle is a piece of garbage, and I despise its operation. The banks did it as a feared reaction to the strength of Venmo and Cash App which, by the way, have their own problems in terms of customer protection. Zelle does not offer you any of the protections you have with your normal checking account. So your credit union, credit union should do better than this. I expect this kind of nasty behavior from a bank. Your credit union is signing people up for Zelle without them asking for it. And then if somebody taps into the account through Zelle, the credit union just shrugs its shoulders and says, oh, well, there's no consumer protections on it. Your money's gone. So you want to make sure you don't have Zelle active on your account. Your credit union probably gives you a way to turn off Zelle, and it is completely unethical, dishonest, and crooked for banks and credit unions to automatically enroll people, and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau needs to outlaw that as a practice and require that people opt into the Zelle garbage instead of, without knowing about it, being enrolled in Zelle. And this is from Jacqueline in Florida. She's got a tip. I've learned that if I make two payments to a creditor per month, one being the actual payment and then another being just a, even just a dollar more two weeks later, it raises my credit score significantly. My FICO score has gone to 875 from 805. So Jacqueline, uh, that's great what you're doing. I don't know what scale you're looking at that gives you an 875. Most scoring models cap out at 850, but the point is whatever scoring model you use, your score's gone up 70 points by paying extra continually on a credit card because the key is to have your available credit as big as possible and the credit in use as small as possible. So you want to have your utilization, what's known as the amount of available credit you have available to you, below 10%. At a minimum, to not harm yourself credit-wise, below 30%. And I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.